This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. Hello, my fellow Brapintonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is my anchorman of aquatic escapades, Mr. Shaheen Avandi! Yar, matey! Ah, shiver me timbers! Shiver me timbers! I have been sitting in my cabin, pooping in my head, which is a weird thing to say. Why do you poop in the head? Yeah, I don't know. Like it's called a poop deck out there. You don't poop there. You got to poop in the head. Did you did you sling a, a cheek over the rail and give Pe- it to Mother Nature? I mean, so we're in a catamaran, and so when you give it to the toilet, it gives to Mother Nature for you. Yeah. My luck, though, there are three heads in this thing, and one of them had a manual toilet. Guess which one I got? Mm-hmm. You yeah. pump it, dude. Look at how strong this one yeah. arm is. I pooped a lot. I, I've had a couple of friends. who are like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sell our house and we're gonna live on a boat. Yeah, good luck. And it's gonna be awesome. We're just gonna sail up and down the West Coast, uh-huh. and we're just gonna experience Mother Mother Nature." And I'm like, "Mm-hmm. Enjoy living on a boat. It's gonna be fun. Enjoy pumping your shit. Uh-huh. Enjoy blowing fuses. <laughs> Enjoy being just sunburned and salty. And for some reason, everything gets really moldy and mildewy. I mean, because everything's a bit moist. Yeah, I, I'm really allergic to mildew, so like living on a boat is just not fun. In you my world. you have to be a neat freak to do it properly. Like you have to constantly wipe things down and wash them and do this and do that. And you like you just have to constantly pick up after yourself, which I'm fine with. But I don't think it's for everyone. Mm-mm. Like this boat was spotless the whole time we were on it, and like if you don't like we had four sets of dishes for four people on this boat so every time you use something you have to clean it immediately or else someone's gonna get fucked yeah you don't want to be the asshole yeah. maybe you do but i didn't want to be it's um <clears throat> i'm glad you're back from your event i'm glad i'm back too that was yeah. a lot of fun i've never been in the blue you're dude a 42 foot boat is nothing out there yeah we were teeny tiny how many days were you gone total uh i was gone for 18 days total but my sailing time was a total of i think nine days exact okay there was a lot of fucking around. And explain for for our listeners what what your route was and where. So you're uh, we started at the teeny tiny island of Dominica, which is like east of Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. It's in the Caribbean. It's a tiny little island south of Guadeloupe, and it's like twenty kilometers wide and thirty kilometers long. It's tiny, and it's super mountainous. So we started out there, and then we sailed all the way up to the the Virgin Islands. And then we kind of faffed around over there for two days, and then which we sailed. Virgin Islands? Uh, so we did British and U.S. Oh, okay, all of them. We hit, we hit, we tried all to the virgins, everything. all the virgins. <laughs> They're virgin no, no more. <laughs> all uh, right, <laughs> all right, Giddy. all right. Um, super weird over there. So it's like the U.S. Virgin Islands are super Americanized, but everybody still drives on the wrong side of the road, even though they drive American cars. I don't get it. Wait, what? Yeah. So the dri- the driver seat is on the left hand side of the car, and you drive on the, the left hand side of the road. You drive on the left hand, left hand side of the road. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's just. It wrong. makes passing really that's, interesting because if you go to pass somebody in the single lane road, you're like, I gotta see around this dude, and I can't. And like visitors. Oh, weird, <laughs> dude. Oh, weird. I don't know why they haven't changed that rule yet. I would love to find out. From, and I asked any of the locals there, and they were like, I don't know. 
<laughs> what do you mean you don't know? Because colonialism, I don't know. Like we 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 basically went and got all these islands and we've forgotten all about yeah, them. Yeah, we totally forgot. Puerto Rico case in point. Oh. It's just falling apart. Dude, I put Puerto Rico like this to my wife and she laughed her ass off. It's like America's little hot rod car that they bought and they kind of made it run well enough and then they just put it away. Yeah. It never got painted and polished. Didn't, didn't and drain the fuel out of it over the winter. Didn't put new tires on it. Yeah. Fucking roof's leaking. Just left outside with a tarp Sh- over it. It's shake off every yeah. year. It's just fucked. But it's so fucking beautiful over there and people are so nice. Um, yeah. So, and then we sailed. Well, no. We attempted to sail from the Virgin Islands all the way to Turks. Well, we're going to go to Florida. Our ultimate goal was to get to Fort Lauderdale, but we made it to Turks and Caicos. There was zero wind once we left the Virgin Islands, and we had to do 400 miles with zero wind. And so we averaged like seven knots under power, which to the listener is about like seven and a half miles an hour. So you had to motor all the way. Yeah, we motored all the way. that's the worst. And luckily there was four of us, so we had to go like we did three-hour shifts, and I got to spend like when we went from uh, Dominica to the Virgin Islands, there was actual wind and we were actually sailing, but I got to be at the helm for three hours at a time, and I got to do like – Nine to twelve, or twelve to three, or three to six, or six to uh, nine, and it's like you get to watch the sunset, and then you get to watch the sunrise again, and you get to see like every conceivable star ever above your head. You can see why like ancient sailors sailed by the stars yeah. and like the sun and the yeah. moon and all that. It's unbelievable. It's that's, that's your only reference point. And I learned a little bit about it, but I'm blown away by by people being able to be like, oh yeah, that's that thing, and it's like, oh no, those stars still move because. This flat sphere we live on rotates somehow. Whoa, 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 whoa. But I didn't fall off of it yet, hey, so is it flat? I hung out with Roland Sands this weekend. The whoa. Earth is definitely flat. Whoa. It's definitely flat. Wait, is Roland Sands a flat earther? Maybe. You heard Wait, it here on Asphalt and Rubber. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely starting that rumor. Oh, man. Hey, if anybody knows Roland Sands, give him a text really quick and ask him what he thinks about the flir- Earth being flat. <laughs> I didn't say flat earther. I said flat tracker. Flat, tra- <laughs> flat track, flat earth, potato, potato. <laughs> Same thing. So yeah, we had a lot of fun, a lot of sun, a lot of rum, a lot of rum. Oh yeah. Did I mention how much rum there was? It was a lot of rum. Um, the trick to not having a hangover is, first of all, don't drink so much sugary drinks. But if you're on a boat, you can just wake up in the morning with your hangover and jump in the water and just stay there until that shit's gone. Salt water cures everything, apparently. These are things I learned as a pirate, Jensen. Don't look at me. All weird. right. I'm just glad you got both your legs. You can come out of a peg I leg or a I didn't parrot. get sick once. That's good. Okay. I didn't get seasick, but the first time we hit land and I got on land and the earth started rotating, like it was just shaking back and forth because I'm used to the thing under me moving constantly. So what happens is when you get on solid land, as you've, I'm sure, experienced throughout all your settling, is your body starts sort of like compensating for that movement, even though it's not happening anymore. And so if you fight it, you get land sick. And my buddy's like, stop fighting it. I'm like, okay. And I didn't get Lansing, but I was like, it is close. I'm like, all right, just just go with the flow, man. Go with the motion <laughs> of the flat earth just, or the ocean, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm back. Well, that's cool. I definitely uh, I mean, was excited for you because that sounds like a cool I experience. I too. It was dreamy as hell. I can't wait to go back. And then you came back and your bike was in the two show. It was in the number two show. Explain explain what the two show is. The two show is run by a local motorcycle club called the Flying 15, which are a bunch of rad dudes. I don't think there's any girls in it. Oh, uh, yeah. There are there? All right. So yeah. by a bunch of da- rad people. Uh, and they started it. They did it last year. So this was the second year in concurrence with the one show, which is a humongous show. It's become just so big. 
Um, so the two show is free and they wanted bikes there to have for a show. It's essentially the one show 10 years ago. I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's a free show where you get to see some rad bikes that run and uh, get some beers and hang out and listen to live music with a bunch of cool people. Is that part of the requirement that all the bikes have to run? No, but everybody had a lot of uh, ego about how their bikes ran. So I think yes. Because wasn't that the whole thing with the one show when it first started? Like it was a bunch of rad built bikes that it ran. Well, yeah, because the oh, it's funny because I had a, I had this conversation with someone at the one show because the one show started out the one the reason it's called the one show is you were supposed to build like if you could only have one motorcycle that was the bike you were supposed to build right and so by nature then it should also run because you were supposed to have built this bike as the only bike you'll ever have exactly. kind of thing and then obviously it kind of morphed from there into just cool bike builds and you've got some bikes that are more um more show let's go yeah let's say more thought from a pragmatic point of view than just an aesthetic point of view right and you have some builders that just don't build finish their bike in time i remember um one of the bikes i really like last year wasn't finished yet mm. um but it's you know it's still interesting to see like the process of the build so yeah i, I would say it's definitely evolved over time and I think describing the two show as what the one show was 10 years ago is a really succinct and accurate way of, of describing it. Cause I think that's truthfully what they're trying to get back to as well. Yeah. Cause it's still kind of like that, that grassroots feeling again. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know where they were holding it. It looked like a, uh, it looked like a barn. Was that the it, well, it, it used to be, it used to be like a, no, it used, it's like a mile away from their clubhouse. It's, I think it used to be a uh, roofing manufacturing place. Okay. So, I mean, a barn is not that far from what you're <laughs> describing. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like a local kind of like yeah. someone's property. And, yeah, and they let them borrow it for yeah, the weekend. Put a bunch of bikes in and a bunch of people show up, drink beers and talk about motorcycles. Which is funny because when they asked my bike to show up, I'm like, this is not like, it's not, it's a cool bike to me because it's my bike. But I don't like, to me, I don't envision it as like that cool cafe racer that I see on the side of the road that stops me dead in my truck. Well, you got those tractor tires in those I do. Hands, Everybody man. was... A lot of people ask me, what do you think of those tires? Oh, Jesus, just buy them. <laughs> Try them out. No, don't buy them. Do no, it. Everybody no, should buy these no, tires. No, Everybody no. should experience a, a Northwest, Pacific Northwest, cold, rainy, wet winter in those tires. I would and say- It teaches you to be smooth. <laughs> you do need to know the bitter to know the sweet. It'll, give you, right. a, it'll give you a better uh, <laughs> respect and appreciation for modern tires afterwards. Um, oh, my goodness. Your bike was in the one show. My bike was in the one show. I think some people took some- suggestive pictures uh, of i got a few suggestive photos you started a trend <laughs> uh, i'm gonna go ahead and say hashtag team man on that one. Oh yeah yeah <laughs> i believe and i quote hey why don't you pose with that bike and i'll send it to jensen <laughs> my wife seems all sweet and kind on the outside and she's thinking you know what i've been on her side for the whole duration <laughs> and this is what i what i get in return i think we have to make a t-shirt hashtag team man oh my goodness she got approached by a couple a couple of listeners oh really <laughs> she's such oh, wow. a she's such an introvert <laughs> but they were like oh shaheen alvendi and team man she's like who are you why are you talking what are you me? talking about hashtag what do you mean why am i a hashtag shaheen why did why did you make me a hashtag what'd you do <laughs> we're gonna have such a talk when we get home i'm no longer allowed to be made into hashtags <laughs> hashtag team man all day long uh, yeah that was interesting to do the whole put your bike in a show thing and, and load it up and do that whole process. And 
Uh, it was cool to see all the bikes that were at the one show. There's a lot of really cool, cool machines. Uh, it was at the Memorial Coliseum this year, which right. is a huge venue. Big. The upside being that all the flat track racing was there as well, which I think was really smart because I'm trying to think how many one shows I've been to, five or six or whatever. You have to drive like an hour away yeah. to Salem to go watch the race, which is beautiful, but still. I was going to say, like, I think I've only driven to Salem once or twice for that because it's, it's it's legitimately an hour and it's open and it's cold mm-hmm. and it's just, it's an hour. It's an hour there. It's an hour back. And this it's a whole first- other whole nother thing. This was the first one show we weren't cold. Yeah. This was like inside a air-conditioned building. Yeah. I brought a jacket and I was I was I was schvetzing. I know I schvetzed a lot. I put it away. Yeah. Um I don't know. What do you what did you think about having it in the, the Coliseum? Um a lot of positives, a handful of negatives. All right. Tell me your thoughts. Right right, my thoughts were this. Um break it, break it, break it down. Error, error, breaking error. Um so I think that the size of the venue clearly justified was justified. There was a lot of people there. It was still packed. Uh, I would bet there was at least two, if not three times more uh, people there than last year. Because the last two years, it was held at a little old warehouse called the Pickle Factory. Pickle Factory. That, to call it a warehouse is to be very... Like, like it's held together by goodwill and some old, 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 old bricks. 100% thought someone was just going to fall to their death. Just because that through place the floor. not safe. Yeah. Like the glasses were old lead. Yeah. Glass. That old lead glass. Oh, wavy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I mean, a lot of character. And I thought it lent itself really well to the show because it was a lot of cool old school bikes and it just. Oh, super cool. Rustic, space. badass, extremely yeah. cold place. Yeah. Very cold. So cold. God dang it. it it's here's a way. Here's how I would describe the pickle factory. Imagine the abandoned building in every horror movie where like little kids get like tortured by demons. Right. That's this building. Except That's, instead of demons, it was a bunch of tattooed, bearded hipsters. Like I said, demons. It's just terrifying. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Ah! Just gonna ask where uh, the where the homebrew beer is. I didn't know you could pierce that part of your body. So uh, that's interesting. So your nose is attached to your ear? Huh. Funny. All right. Is that a gold chain connecting your nipples or <laughs> is it just brass. plated? It's brass. This <laughs> is the one show. <laughs> so the 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 Coliseum is the old sort of basketball Coliseum. It's right next door to the Moda Center. Yeah. So for people to kind of get an idea of where we're at, we're at a old basketball indoor uh, center and the whole out, outer ring of it was full of motorcycles and vendors. And then downstairs in like the convention area, it was just packed full of motorcycles vendors and cool fun things to do and i couldn't believe how full it got how quickly it got full so i love that aspect of it there was two things i didn't like and there were only two things one the biggest thing was that that venue if you want to buy tickets for it online is um basically managed by Ticketmaster. Hmm. so a ticket to that show for a day i think was like 25 bucks well 25 bucks plus $10 Ticketmaster charges. Oh, so really? Ticket, ticket prices were 35 bucks and up for everyone who wanted to buy tickets. Now, they at least the one show gave everyone an option to buy, I think, the three-day pass for like everything because you had to get like an early day pass for Saturday and then there was a night pass for Saturday and there was a race pass for Saturday where you could combine uh, the last two up together and have a night pass and a, uh, and a race pass together. I'm I'm not sure what the thought process behind that is. I guess just trying to kind of divvy people up a little bit. I think some of it's crowd control, to be honest. I think so. I I really think that's what that is. But you could buy the full weekend pass for like 90 bucks, I think. 
So call it 100 bucks with Ticketmaster's $10 charge. But I believe there's a lot of people who were complaining about that because a 20, $25 ticket had a $10 charge. There was no sliding scale on the on the you know Ticketmaster's, I don't know, convenience charges or whatever they're called. I, I think I'm a part of this group, but I would say the, the one-show demographic is definitely resistant to the Ticketmaster bullshit. Yep. Because Ticketmaster is 100% bullshit. 100%. And, you know... <sighs> Like, I, I totally, like, get that idea of, so, like, there's a price, but then there's, like, another price with a huge hidden fee. It's like dealing with Comcast. Yeah. I put I would put Ticketmaster right there with Comcast and the Italian uh, mail delivery system, where it's just, it just feels morally corrupt. Yep. I think you're right. I think they're all together. I mean, right before the one show, there was a chance for me to come home. Well, actually, it's, it's coming up soon. Or, no, I missed it. My, the band Tool was going to play it moto or something and the mm -hmm. tickets were i don't know like 125 bucks and by the time he did like Ticketmaster's fees it was almost 200 bucks for a ticket i'm like i don't really care to see them that badly yeah so i, I don't know i don't know i i feel like there's going to be a bit of pushback from the general public who clearly paid their dues and came to the show because it was packed um so that was number one issue and the number two issue was dude i got a massive contact high from going to those races it took about Dude. It took about 15 or so races before somebody was like, we should open the garage doors. This shit's getting smoky in here. Well, it didn't help when the Icon stunt team decided to do a bunch of burnouts. But like, I think you're absolutely right. I came home and I smelled my clothes like, oh man, I reek of premix and rubber and yeah. just smog. Took off my clothes and changed it to, to some clean ones. And then like, I got in bed. I was like, no, I still smell. Like, uh -huh. I have to legitimately take a shower. Yep. And, and scrub the stuff off. And I'd already like took a bath because I was freezing ass cold from running the Goldwing home. <laughs> and I was like, I've already bathed. I have to bathe now a second time and really like fucking scrub the shit like, scrub out a, of it. Scrub a scrub. Because like I just reek. And you're sitting there going like, man, I must have inhaled a lot of. Did you feel okay the next day? Like I was moving slow the next day. I thought I was hungover. And Anne's like, no, you were at the races. You had carbon monoxide poisoning, babe. I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't recall. Yeah, see? Yeah. You didn't recall. Yeah. You were sleeping. Yeah. I woke up hungover. I truly woke up hungover, like not from drinking, because I didn't drink that much. I think I did have a headache. Now that I think about it, uh, so yeah. that was that was my number two complaint. Yeah, but once they opened the gates up, you could like I felt the cold air hit us, and I watched the smoke just leave. And I was like, you guys should have done that from the beginning. Well, lesson learned. Yeah, first time. I'd agree with that. That's a good one. Other than that, I got nothing. Everything was. Just... Would you? Would you like? You felt the crowds were good. What did you think of the the bike selection, the bike mix? I thought it was cool. It was a little bit more um, kind of. Here's what I'm, where I'm getting at. The last one show that I went to at the Pickle Factory, there seemed to be some kind of like segue from bike to bike to bike, as in like you could kind of, you, you knew what room you were in based on the motorcycles that were there. Like there was a chopper uh, room. And yeah. This show, they'd kind of thrown them all together, which I kind of like, but I kind of also like a little bit of order. So I was a little bit mixed about that. Yeah. The one complaint, oh, my third complaint was. I love going to the one show for the artwork. I think some of the artwork artwork that people bring and vendors and artists in general is just beautiful. I love moto art. And at the Pickle Factory, you were sort of in close proximity just because of the way the hallways were set up. And because the hallways at the, the arena were so much wider, you weren't that close. So I was finding myself kind of having to like squeeze between bikes to look at a specific piece of art. Um, so it didn't feel um, quite as intimate. Maybe that's the word I would use. But again, not necessarily a bad thing because that gave people the chance to walk around and have more crowds around. So 
that was just my own personal thing. But I love the artwork. I love seeing all that stuff. It's one of my favorite things to see. And I mean, there were some crazy cool bikes from dirt bikes to adventure bikes to really badass cruisers. A couple of like, uh, you know, Bonneville uh, salt flat style mm -hmm. bikes, which I think my favorite bike was one of those. Oh, wow. Um, there's a Lincoln there. <laughs> there's a couple of cars there. Lincoln uh, Yeah, uh, there was a couple of cars. That was weird. I think it was pretty. Thing was so wide you could like i'm six feet tall and i could lay side to side inside <laughs> that thing um yeah pretty cool there, there's a little bit of like you know i raise an eyebrow whenever i go to one of these sort of hand-built um grassroots feeling shows and then i see like sponsored by indian and there's like 50 brand new indians there and i get that you have to raise money to do these shows but it's like well someone's i mean got, someone's got to pay the bills someone's got to pay the bills i guess yeah it was interesting uh no harley not this year. Not this year. In fact, I think Indian was really the only manufacturer that was like present. Uh, Indian was definitely the headline manufacturer. BMW was there. Uh, Zero had a little bit of a presence. Yeah. Um, Very little. Um, well, they've had a couple custom bikes, and then the local dealer was there. Corey West's uh, Pike Speak bike was there. That thing was sexy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Corey West was. Racing. He was there. Yeah, he was racing. I saw yeah. videos and pictures from him. Um. It was interesting, like from so as a, I didn't build shit. Let's just be really clear. I didn't build shit. I mean, you were like the you were <laughs> like the builder and a contractor. Little, you know, you brought builders together. I, I curated uh, <laughs> aftermarket parts. Is what I did. Um, but to be a part of that side of the show, like I would agree. Um, like I, I would like to see the one show have more curation and more thought put into where bikes were because like we literally got there um right around like two o'clock to to load in right which i guess was on the later side i didn't get the memo that you want to get there really really early so yeah, you, can you can tell we were spot. among the last to put their bikes there literally one of the last bikes to, to get put in but like there i was always on the assumption like well they have already figured out where my bike is going to go right like this they there would be like some sort of map like bike 187 right. is in this spot that's what i expected somebody would be like oh you with that bike over yeah. there yeah <laughs> and it really wasn't that way at all and i kind of had to like well one we had to go scout out where we wanted to put the bike which was a lot of different places right and two kind of like you know haggle because because where they wanted to put me i was like ah, i don't really want to be put over there how about over here there's an empty spot over here oh okay yeah that'll work <laughs> and you're like okay that's that's fine but like one of my pushbacks was because like they want to put my bike in with all these harleys like it was literally like because harley's <laughs> harley's thing the, it's funny that you said that harley wasn't there harley was there harley harley clothing right that's where you were at yeah and that's uh no 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 there's harley this is funny so you didn't even see it i didn't on like we're that that flat tracker the the uh, uh, a bike company the abc 500 yeah, yeah yeah. over by that was where the harley was oh like that rolling sands harley well there was a harley and then there was rolling sands stuff by you there was there was it was by the food oh it was, it was to totally the, right the, the harley thing exactly huh. i was talking to some sneaky, harley people sneaky. and they were not happy about that uh, which is funny. Um, but that's where they want to put my bike was like in the middle of like the Harley stuff. And I'm sitting there going like, I mean, if that's the only spot and right. that's, you know, where it goes like, okay, I get it. But no one's going to want to see a Kramer race bike if they're looking at a bunch of Harleys and probably not vice versa. Now, I mean, hopefully everyone walks around the show and sees everything, but it doesn't really make sense to have it next to that. And I was like, well, because that was my whole thing. I was like, why don't you put me next to this really rad aprilia sxv supermoto that you know has got all the cool shit on it because they weigh about the same amount and they some kind of 
makes it seem like they're, they're both kind of track bikey kind of things. Right. Like that makes a little bit more sense. Like if you're really into that Aprilia, you're probably, probably be really into this Crammer and vice versa. And like, like that seemed like a really like no brainer to me. That really wasn't like the, the case. And that's always been like my struggle with, with not just the one show, but all these shows where there could be a little bit more planning. Like I, I think of it like an art gallery. Yes. You know, and you've got your impressionist wing and you've got your cubist wing and you have your modernist wing. Right. Maybe you have a, a whole exhibit that's just Monet or just Dadaism or whatever it is, you know, and you and you and you put like things by like things like you put all the BMWs together, all the Harleys together, like 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 in the pickle factory. There was a room that was basically just choppers. Right. And it was great. Yeah, it allowed your eyes to kind of follow the line a little easier. It just makes a little bit more sense. Whereas. There didn't really seem to be a rhyme or reason. Like I was kind of hoping that my bike would be with a bunch of other race bikes. And that really wasn't the case. No, it was like next to a bunch of Harleys and the Icon bikes. Which there's a big fuck off Honda Valkyrie behind your bike. Yeah, <laughs> that thing made your bike like itty bitty little itty bitty tiny. So that, I think that's always the struggle. It's, and then it'd be nice if there was like some context. I actually the, the one of the things that really struck me was the the guy that had the Aprilia. He put a little stand next to his bike that listed the whole build. Right. And if you just looked at it really quick, you'd be like, oh, that's a cool Aprilia, you know, Supermoto with some some parts on it. And you start reading what he's done. You're like, oh, wow, no, that motor's totally built and they're doing this. And Okay, yeah, that, okay. I know that tuner. That that thing was done right and blah, blah, blah. You're like, that's a fucking, that fight bike's a fucking weapon. That's what that is. It gives you more insight into into what's going on other than just like the little tag that says like someone's name and what bike it is. Yeah. And I think that was the same thing, like, you know, that truthfully with like my Kramer, I wish I kind of done because like if people, you look at it and you're like, no, that bike weighs 268 pounds and it makes, you know, 85 horsepower. That's pretty rad. You know, um, and I think there's a bunch of bikes like that where like if you told the story a little bit more, it'd be really helpful. And having the bikes, there was like one room dedicated for, for show bikes. And there was another room dedicated for like a vintage collection. And then upstairs, there's a bunch of more bikes that were around the circle, like you were explaining. Yeah. And I just felt like the bikes were really spread out. And like that was one of the things, like when we wish came when we initially came in, they wanted to stick us upstairs in the roundel. And I was like, I don't really want to be up. I don't want to be next to the guy selling t-shirts. Yeah. I don't want to be next to the 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 doors to the like literally they want to put me next to the door to the bathroom that was the first place they wanted to stick me and i was like no <laughs> what are you i don't saying want, about my bike well i don't want to be like next to the bathroom especially if there's gonna be like a line and people are stumbling in and right. out or whatever but like that's not where i want to have my bike be shown and like i felt like being up in that roundel made it like less of a, a thing that your bike was there it felt like more like oh you're just like a chair at that yeah. point instead of like their bikes on display um so i don't know like that that for me like the change in venue like i really like having the racing one place i really like having a bigger space i don't like the coliseum as a space more than the pickle factory because the pickle factory had a lot of character obviously but i I get that trade-off but for me like the organization of it felt bad like i would love to have had like a room that was just just the art stuff because for me it gets lost when all of the helmets that are on display and all the art pieces like, Oh, I have to walk around this entire fucking room. And then, and then there's stuff hidden. Like there was a beautiful spawn dune framed. Uh, I think it was a Honda or Suzuki. I can't remember now. Um, I probably have it on my phone actually. Got a picture of it. Yeah. Um, 
there's well, a beautiful spondoon framed sport bike that was just like in the hall. And like, if you didn't go down that little hallway, you weren't going to see this amazing no. thing. And I feel like that, that like loses, loses the touch a little bit. Oh, maybe I don't have a picture of it. It was the same. Um, who was your buddy that had the bicycle on top of the adventure bike? He maintains the trails in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe it's someone else's. Friend. I think it's somebody else's, but that, are you talking about t- that TW 200? Yeah, that was that thing was badass with a with a giant uh, chainsaw on the front. Yeah, yeah, thing was like, so one of the craziest things in the show, and it, it was just sitting in the corner. And it was just like, yeah, it was like down some hallway onto the side, and you're like, oh well, you know, how was I supposed to know there was be there'd be a cool bike to right. see down here? And like, things should be in places where you you expect them. Um, putting them in the hallways and like the connecting parts doesn't make sense. Having them in a bunch of different rooms. Doesn't necessarily make sense unless, like, like the vintage room. That makes sense. If I want to go see all the vintage bikes, there's right. one room. There's all these period correct motorcycles from someone's collection. Yeah, that's that's rad. That's a cool way to do that. Um, so I don't know. Just some thoughts for next year. But uh, the one show has got an interesting little. I don't know. I, I guess I'll call it an issue. It has grown, right? It's been going on for 10, 11 years, and it's growing steadily. Uh, and you can tell it's grown so much that the number two show spawned off. And in its second year, when I was there on Saturday at like 4.30 p.m., there was over 1,000 people there for this uh, tiny little number two show. Oh, yeah. Right? So clearly there is a there's a need for it, and people are going to come and do the thing. But the, the one show grew so much that it went from a, you know, it kept moving around like a gypsy show to the point where it got to the Pickle Factory, and we were lucky enough to have two years at the Pickle Factory. But, you know, even the Pickle Factory is a place in portland that's you know clearly hurting for three space years and they're the renting factory, it out i think what's that might be three years of the pickle factory maybe three i, I only went for the two years of it mm. um but the point is it, it it has to move around because it constantly grows and they're trying to sort of you know uh, cater to the size of it and the people that are bringing motorcycles or people that are coming from you know internationally now i met people from germany on this show that has shown up just for it um the problem that they're having is as it's as it grows it it garners a bigger space and you know being in a society that we are bigger space equals more rents and bigger issues that come with a bigger space like parking and uh buying tickets and stuff like that so it, it's going to constantly it's the one show that i've it's called it's the one show the one show uh, that i've seen that that seems to have growing pains every year because it changes every year it's not static and it's sort of like the I kind of like that about it that it's it seems like this organic growing thing, but every year people are like, "Bah, I didn't like this or that and the other about it." Bah, they're stealing money from us, and it's like looking at it from someone who's done projects before. I don't think Tor made any money on this. Maybe it did, but I don't think it was enough. Like watching him run around and put stuff together right up until the opening, uh, last second before they opened. Um, clearly, they're working their asses off, but there is like a little bit of. Like I love and hate about watching it be this organic, growing, constant thing every year that never stays the same. It's a, it's an interesting thing that you're describing because I feel like that's a very Portland problem to a certain extent. Like I look at the, the the one show and the two show. The two show is definitely a reaction to the one show getting bigger and getting more corporate. Right. And the the pushback to like what you're describing about what the one show is let's say becoming or no longer is 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 very much a portland culture thing and i think it's seated in that punk rock roots where it's like you know you're selling out you're corporate now right, like right. we don't like you anymore because like now you're making a buck like i don't think 
I think Tor is making some money, but Tor is not getting rich no. off this, and neither no. is CC. And to put on an event that size is a huge financial risk. Like I'm pretty sure someone quoted to me that the just to rent the facilities one hundred thousand dollars, and then you're going to put like another hundred thousand dollars in terms of personnel right. and security and logistics and all that other stuff. And you know, yeah, you're going to get some sponsorship from a bunch of different brands, and the people, and you're going to get a lot of people through the door. And as far as I know, they weren't paying any any of the people bringing bikes. I mean, they certainly didn't pay me. Maybe right. some of the top names can get some sort of showing fee, but um, you know, that's a pretty sizable expense. And then there's probably you got to have insurance off of it. You got to like there's a bunch of stuff that people don't think about. You got your Ticketmaster probably taking you know a certain cut out of it i'm sure um although that might be getting charged directly con- to consumer now that i think about it but like i bought i bought dinner both nights there and each time i walked away with like 20 dollars in food that was probably five dollars worth of food yeah and like the the tight ass in me wasn't super happy about that but i'm like well think about that as like just donating charity to you know keeping this motorcycle show if me buying an overpriced sandwich yeah and a three dollar can of Coke that was probably bought at Costco for twenty five cents, so I'm paying a twelve hundred percent markup. <laughs> if that's what keeps this going, so be it, because that's fine and it's a small price to pay. But I do think that people, especially in this community, especially in this biker community, look at that and be like, "You're selling out. You're a corporate. You're trying to make a dollar. Fuck you for trying to make a dollar." Because right. there is that vibe here. Like I've I've definitely feel that vibe in Portland and. It's not as prevalent in, say, other other markets. I think it exists everywhere to a certain extent uh, in motorcycling and with like a certain demographic of of kind of like punk rock and and maybe younger uh, people. But um, it's it's definitely a thing here, and like that's tough because like I want I want the show to do well. I want the show to grow. I love it to be that there every the year largest custom motorcycle show is now in portland oregon that's amazing and i love seeing that the entire motorcycle industry comes up here for it like that's that's one of the hardest things for me on the on these weekends is everyone's up here i have so many meetings i have so many people to talk to i'm trying to get so many stories done and interviews done uh it's a good problem to have it's a blessing you know we should be really thankful to have this problem in our motorcycle community in the and, middle of winter yeah in the middle of winter <laughs> and not and this is a really mild year we've had snow in the past that oh, yeah. shut things down on the freeway and it was a total disaster and it's cool to see and i wish i wish it was more of a thing like i love the fact that the two show exists because it's one more thing yep. that if you're visiting from out of town that you can come see that's motorcycle related and i wish that uh, we, we have Icon that's in town. I wish they did more at their own facility for things. Uh, Motocorsa every now and then, depends on the year, has had something going on. Right. Um, we've got uh, brands like Velamaki and... Um, I mean, Leatherman was there. There was a lot of local Portland... There's a lot, there's opportunities to make this more than just coming to the Coliseum and seeing the bikes. You right. can make this an entire weekend of motorcycles. Like I'm surprised that there isn't more dealers at the show offering test rides and stuff yeah. or, or saying like, Hey, we're not open normally on Sundays, but we'll be open this Sunday and we're going to do a ride up into the Cascades or wherever, wherever you're going to go. It's a, it's, there's I a great opportunity there. Coming from the dealer side, I think the issue with that is because the one show changes every year and there doesn't seem to be like a solid planning that goes along with it. For most dealerships, they don't have the bandwidth to be able to kind of keep up with it, I don't think. 
I agree. Because though. there probably isn't like a dedicated right. events person. But I mean, talking to local yeah. dealers, I spoke to two different ones of them, and they said, yeah, they had lots of tourists that came in and bought T-shirts and, you know, were kicking tires and whatnot. I don't think motorcycles went. Motorcycle pri- uh, sales didn't go up any higher because of it because it's just, you know, people coming by. But if you're selling a T-shirt that shows off your shop or you got something cool going on, like Motocrossa did a breakfast on Saturday, they sold out. Uh, so they're, yeah. they're trying. There, there's it's it is a neat little blip in the radar in the middle of you know February. It's a great uh, opportunity to get people into your dealership or into your business or to showcase your business in the middle of the fucking winter. Yeah, that's that's the value to me, and that's um, what I like a lot about the show. Uh, I, I do think there has to come like a conversation of like quantity versus quality. Mm-hmm. Like when I was thinking about the handbuilt show. Just been in the same facility for never changes years, yeah. <laughs> and it, it doesn't have nearly as many bikes, but I do think it it curates what bikes are there a little bit better. Like there's bikes in the one show that I think I've seen every single year. Like I can think of a couple cruisers and a couple dirt bikes. Really? Like I think I've seen that bike more than one year huh. in the show. And like I'm not sitting down like taking photos and taking notes to be like, is this bike going to be? Yeah, but if you're like, recognizing it, but there's parts I'm like, I recognize this. Right. This this seems familiar. Is this the same thing I saw? I don't know. I don't care enough really, yeah. but um, I do like that. Um, you know, shows like Hamble feels like they have more curation in the sense of like big name builders, fresh new things, bikes that are really influential. Whereas, like, like truthfully, I think my bike was in the show purely because they needed more bikes in the show. They had a lot more space. And they're like, yeah. how are we going to fill the space? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's, like, I don't know if bigger is necessarily better. Is And that's a, that's a funny thing because, like, that's, that's like, my current business model right now with Fast Fallen Rubber. I don't want to have the largest readership. I want to have the most engaged readership. And, you know, we're starting to see that that shift in the industry because there's some sites that can boast, you know, a couple million readers a month. And you go and, you're like, you look at their stories and they have like zero comments yeah there's, there's like no, zero interaction you're no like, engagement and you're like well like so are you guys just like buying traffic or is it just like google seo or is it just like you're just getting traffic from you know malaysia and and that's how you're getting your numbers because i don't think that does anyone any good in terms of like your influence and you know how strong your advertising is going to be and, and things like that and uh, i think it's the same thing with the, the the bike shows and trade shows where it's like well you know, more isn't necessarily better. Right. I agree 100%. But I am glad to see it, it growing. I am glad to see it doing well. I hope they have more successful years. Um, There's def- definitely a draw, and everybody knows about it, and they're interested in, you know, being there and socializing with like-minded people. It's really fun to see, you know, essentially 40,000, 50,000 people walking around with drinks in their hands, being so careful around the bikes, super um you know respectful of everybody else's property yeah and I, it was funny because like my bike we you, you and i both polished it oh, yeah. right before uh the show and i came back and picked it up sunday and like there's a couple little thumbprints but not here like there. the way it's at a but, dealership but, but it wasn't yeah it was like i was because because the tank is this really shiny black and the tail is this really shiny oh, black yeah. and so it picks up smudges so easily it's really easy to tell if someone touched yeah. your bike and i'm looking at it, i'm like well eh. Couple looks like a couple people touched Pretty it, impressive. but it's not like it's covered with stuff. Yeah. Like it was very obvious. Like people were very respectful, yeah. And that I do think speaks speaks volumes to the the community and the motorcycle community. Yeah, it's. I look forward to it every year, and I look forward to going to you know the handbuilt show in Austin every year. It's 
cool to see all these people that are so passionate about their bikes. What was your favorite bike? I really like this bike by um, uh, the company. The, the, the firm is called A Bike Company. Okay. <laughs> it's it's Nikki Smart, who uh, is better known in the automotive space. Um, but he built, um, he, he's the guy that, that was, uh, he, be, he did the aerial Adam. Oh, wow. So that, that's where people would know yeah. his work the most. Uh, he did some stuff for, for, I think Cadillac did some of their concept cars. So this guy, this, this person knows how to so make, knows design, how to make, knows how to make a pretty thing. Uh, but he did a bike called the ABC 500, which was an XL 500 motor in this kind of board tracker, um, uh, body is that the black one it's that black one. Oh my god that was that that thing's a piece of art yeah and it's one of those things like it's really striking from a distance and it was this is one of the things like you were talking about before one of the things that that kind of got my goat is when you walked into the doors of the show the first thing you saw was the indian thing because that yep. was front and center and i get it they're the ones paying the bills and they have like 20 bikes but like, like the ftr well, that's the thing. <laughs> they did the thing for Indian was this was kind of like the U.S. announcement that the FTR rally is coming to the U.S. Uh. And the FTR rally is really just a part spin bike of the FTR twelve hundred. It's literally wheels, a seat, and like a windscreen. Okay, I could care. I didn't Woo. even didn't even cover an asshole yeah, because I could <laughs> care less. Like congratulations! Like I could have just bought an FTR twelve hundred and gotten these parts from your catalog and built it myself, which is all you're doing great don't get excited about it. like <laughs> really you guys put this huge investment into the one show to show that off all right whatever they had some other stuff there they had their bagger bike there talk about baggers that blue, oh, we baggers. Talk about baggers oh we have so much to say about baggers uh we gotta get through this so we can talk about baggers okay. um so but like for my mind like this bike should have been the first thing you saw through the doors because right. for my because it was it was an eye-catching machine because it's got this what was it 26 26 is yeah uh front wheel carbon fiber like multi-piece wheels yeah it's got these uh it's got an aluminum rim with carbon fiber spokes going to an aluminum hub and the more and more you look at it because it's, it's very minimalist it's very clean so much detail and you start looking at it, you're like oh that's a really clever way of like hiding the rear shock it was an air shock underneath the carbon kevlar seat and it had like a functional tail light and then you start looking at the the front end as a hosack design but there's no visible shock. And I even had some readers being like, there's no shock. This is this. Or is they just using like a steering dampener type shock. And like, no, there's a linkage. And the shock is underneath the carbon fiber fuel tank. And so you can't see it. So everything's super, super clean. You can't see any wiring. Right. Uh, there's no hoses that you can see. It's just really minimalistic and really done right. And you look, you could sit there for like an hour and just be like, oh, oh look at that detail. Yeah. Oh, oh, look how he did this. Oh, look at that. And those are the kind of bikes that, that should have been that that bike should have been on display at the very front because it, it would grab dry immediately and you would have sat there for an hour and looked at it and then you would have been like that would have set the tone for the rest of the show like oh wow yeah. I really need to spend time with each motorcycle because there's some really cool shit here that is more than meets the eye rather than like here's some OEM bike with a windscreen and some wheels <laughs> I bet we'll see that bike at the handbill show in Austin uh, I was just text messaging with uh, with him a minute ago and he hasn't been accepted yet but what? hopefully will be. I want to see that bike and my favorite bike at the handbuilt show again. I want to look at them again, like more and more in detail. Which bike was your favorite? The Royal T Racing, out of New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. They had this. Um, I don't know if it's like a, a FXR or whatever. I don't know what style Harley it is, but they turned it into like a 
land speed record looking bike. Oh, yeah. That silver thing with the yeah. giant turbo sticking out of it. Yeah. I couldn't get enough of that bike. That bike was beautiful from every angle to me. Yeah. That was probably one of the prettiest things I've ever seen. And then it turns out my buddy Dump Truck is working with them, so it was cool to talk to him a little bit. Well, so you have a buddy named Dump Truck? I have a buddy named Dump Truck. Did his parents not like him? His parents love him. I think he's amazing. He is the biggest character on the planet, I think. Look up Dump Truck. If anyone's ever seen... What do you seen, mean look up Dump... I'm going to type Dump Truck into Google and I'm going to see a person show up? Are you so kidding me? If, you ever, if you've ever seen any ad campaigns for um, tobacco brand motorcycle gear, yeah, he's one of their spokesperson. He's the big dude with the long hair and the big beard. Right. And he talks like this. This is his voice. Dump Truck Tobacco. Did I mean Dump Truck Tobacco? I did mean Dump Truck Tobacco. <laughs> Even Google's like, are you sure? Are you really well, you sure? Wanna... Oh my God, he's in his underwear. Yep. He's amazing. That guy is a fucking light in a dark place. Did I do his voice right on or what? <laughs> kind of did. He sounds like he's had a, a couple of tobacco products. So, dump, trucks, uh, dump trucks, old school military, and he's a big advocate for uh, men's health and uh, suicide prevention. He's always there for the uh, gentleman's ride. And uh, the dude's amazing. He's really such a cool character. And he talks like and this. And he talks like this. Just like a real piece I love of gristle. He, he and I saw each other from across the hallway and ran towards each other like a pair of giant people hugging each other. And then when he left, one of the girls that was doing security <laughs> at the one show comes up to me. She's like, I would love to see way more of this today, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that polar bear hugging that grizzly bear? <laughs> <laughs> they seem so friendly. I thought they were going to fight and then they hugged. <laughs> So yeah, that's my favorite bike, uh, the Royalty Racing bike. And apparently, well, I just looked at it. It won the One Show Award. Oh, I didn't even see who won the that. awards. The Royalty bike. Why Why aren't they publishing that online? I, I think there's a great opportunity for, for the One Show to make like a website or an app or something yeah. that would list all the bikes, their names, the builders, a couple of photos. Um. Because like there's there's just so much stuff I feel like so much story that isn't told so much there's so much and that's the problem right I mean as, like you said it there's just there's just almost the question of quality versus quantity you know I I personally like the one show better because I like a little bit of chaos and walking walking around and seeing everything with a little bit of direction but whereas when you go to the hand built show you can be in and out of there in like an hour and a half two hours and have seen everything and I've spoken to everybody you want to speak to. Yeah, see, I like both of our favorite bikes a lot. Those are my two favorite bikes. Yeah, there was... Um, and neither one of them are sport bikes or adventure bikes? No, there was a beautiful adventure bike. Uh, it was a Husky. Are you talking about that Martin one? Yeah. Oh. Uh, the Martini. Martini, yeah, Martini one. So uh, apparently that bike was a bike that he rode for like 33 days straight. Yeah. And then he rebuilt it. Yeah. Uh, he's based out of White Salmon. I was talking oh, to him. So he's localish. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um and uh what was it the Rolling Sands BMW kind of old school adventure bike yeah I like that that was really cool it had a little survival pack in the back <laughs> with 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 the uh, Jägermeister a Budweiser a cigarette pack Marbles. and a lighter yeah <laughs> that was amazing we should take an advertising break and we come back uh there's some more stories we should talk about I'm gonna grab some whiskey.
This episode of the Brab Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. Finally, there's a comfortable, versatile, and safe road helmet for any motorbike and any rider thanks to the same advanced materials and innovative technologies used to help world champions achieve the maximum at the racetrack and in the most extreme conditions. Everything you need is now combined with everything you've ever wanted, the AGV K6 helmet. Um, speaking of BMW, we finally got to see the 1800 slash two. I'd seen it before. I saw it in, in ICMA, but yeah, I think that was one of the, f uh, better opportunities in the U S to yeah. see it, including its auxiliary kickstand, uh, <laughs> placement block. Okay. Okay. So, so every wide. bike was not every bike, but a lot of the bikes were like sitting on their own little, like four inch lifted off the ground. Uh, pedestal pedestal right yeah and most of them could fit kickstand and all on that said pedestal because the pedestals were like three feet wide and six feet long yeah this fucking thing's kickstand so long they had to build an auxiliary like pedestal. another foot <laughs> <laughs> it was like a little nubbin my favorite thing was that you and i were sitting there staring at the bike and then mark the i think he's the marketing manager for bmw yeah. he, he walks over and he goes i would love to hear what you guys have to say about this thing <laughs> you're like what which is great because i of course go like well i think it's the fucking worst motorcycle i've ever seen <laughs> he's like cool i've been working on this project for three years and you're like all right i'm an asshole i'm gonna go uh outside go, and kill myself i'm gonna go drink some more uh mountain dew <laughs> bear back <laughs> i'm gonna go rethink my whole attitude and i will say this even purpose. though it's not and we both admitted that that bike's not designed to appeal to the likes of you and i but no. For a show bike, you know, sort of like a, a non-production bike, it was pretty finished. Like it looked like they that could pretty much slap a yeah. license plate on it and call it a motorcycle. We were, I was, I say we. I think everyone in attendance at ICMA was expecting that bike to debut as a production machine. Turn off your sound, Johnson. Uh, <laughs> recording a damn podcast like a damn professional, Johnson. How am I supposed to work in this? Can't run these conditions. <laughs> Somebody give me a drink. Um, but yeah, when that bike was unveiled. In ICMA as a concept, everyone was really surprised. We were expecting the production version. But when you get up close to it, and you're like, this is basically it. Like, there's, it had, uh, we were joking because it has like these $3,000 Brembo calipers. Right. And I only know that because I've been specking them for <laughs> my Kramer because why the fuck not? Uh, if you're going to do something wrong, do it right. But you're like sitting there, like, there's like $10,000 worth of brake calipers here. Obviously, not going to go on right. to the production no machine. But you look at the chassis and the engine and, and everything, and even the paint scheme yeah, sounds the frame like frame looked like it was pretty solid. It's like ninety five percent what's going into right. production. Uh, I don't know what's taking them so long to to get her done. I but love the air intake on it. That that weird like three D yeah. printed honeycomb looking thing. Yeah, it's like a lattice kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's clever. Uh, it, you know the bike. It's not what I'm into. Like like no. you said, like this is not a motorcycle that was even built with the idea of getting Jensen Beeler's hard, cold blogging dollars. Right. But like you can't like hate on it. You're like, well, it's an interesting thing. Like there's a part a lot of it. Like if this is your jam, this this could be something that's interesting. I don't the hard thing for me, and, and Mark made a really good case. And in fact, I'm gonna write a story about like, you know, the the other side of the coin, the other side, like the the fair consideration of the BMW R eighteen. Um, you know, for them, like a win in the U.S. is you know there's like 150,000 Harley sold, you know, every year. Let's That's say a the tiny piece of that pie is plenty for them. And like BMW only sells like 15,000 bikes in the U.S. total, right. if that. So it's like 
you know, if they sold just, if they just grabbed 1% of the market share, that's a pretty big Done. win for them. Yep. And you're like, when you look at it from like a model units perspective, you're like, yeah, okay. I get that argument. And I think that's a fair argument. That's the business argument. The thing that worries me is just this idea of like Harley Davidson buyers don't want to buy something that isn't a Harley Davidson. Yeah. And Indian has proven the market a little bit, but I think that's a misnomer in a, in a sense too, because Honda and the others really prove that that market doesn't exist. And I think the reason that Indian works is because it is the oldest motorcycle brand in America yep. and it has a legitimate heritage story. It has, which is very important to the American V twin market. It's like you, you have to be in the right club to sell the bike and that club is Harley Davidson, but the Indian brand can kind of scam on that enough where it's like, well, we're just like Harley Davidson. You just haven't heard of us. Right. And if you build the right motorcycle and you market it the right way, you can kind of convince Harley Davidson guys that it's okay to be on their bike too. Whereas like Japanese bikes, it's definitely not the case, even though like they're <laughs> superior machines. And BMW is going to kind of fall into that same thing where it's like, well, they can kind of play on their heritage. Like, look at this air-cooled boxer. That's been around forever. That's heritage for us. And it's reliable because we're so fucking German. And you get some good styling done on it. And you're like, well, maybe. I'll be very curious. Like, I, like I, told, I told them straight to their face, like, this is the motorcycle I'm most interested this year in seeing what happens with it. Yeah. What the market's reaction is, where this goes, how many are sold. Like, that's the one that I'm going to be following the closest when I see the sales data and when I talk to customers and things like that. Um, Cause it, it is the most interesting thing that's going on in the industry. It right falls now. in a very interesting spot because I think there's, there may be a set of buyers out there who are looking to get in the cruiser world, but don't necessarily want the stigma that comes along with Harley. So then they maybe look at Indians and then maybe they look at, you know, Japanese bikes, which are out there. There's plenty of great options in that, you know, cruiser segment but if BMW, you know, suddenly comes out and is the wild card with this sort of, I mean, pretty good looking bike for, for its segment that has this big, torquey, lumpy motor in the middle of it, really, really low seat height. I mean, we, you and I both commented on that. That that might be one of the lowest production seat heights that you can get if that if it really sits like that, you know, coming out of the box. And that's a huge thing. That And, that, and I rode the Goldwing there that day. And one of the things I was like, you know what? One of the reasons I think I really like this Goldwing is because the seat is so low yeah. and it's really approachable. Like, yeah, it's an 800 pound motorcycle, but I can handle it around because like I got a lot of leverage on it. Yeah. The weight's really low. And I think that the BMW, even on the stand, like you said, like it's four inches high or so, <laughs> right. even on that, on the, on that pedestal, my leg on the floor that seat still came up to about knee height, mm -hmm. like legitimately, mm -hmm. like just just it, it a looked smidge like a over my inch, knee, like seat height. It, yeah. I'm sure it's higher than that, but it looked like it was that high, that low. So that to me, I think, is a, a a really interesting thing. Like that opens it up to a lot of people, and like, yeah, that motor that motor's got only 500 pounds on its own. It's just a boat anchor, of but a it motor. sits so low, man, and the bike it can't even fall over. <laughs> that motor sits out so far. I don't even know why they bought it with the kickstand. They I don't even know either. Just leaning on one of the fucking uh, uh, heads. Yeah, It'll just <laughs> I don't know. I, I I can't hate that bike more, but I'm so interested to see where it goes. I I'm, I know what you mean, and I and I I don't I don't hate it, but it's not for me. And truth, if, if right now tomorrow I was like, oh, I have to have a cruiser, that would probably be on the top of my list because I don't really? necessarily like the Harley, 
thing. I think much. you're onto something with the Harley thing. Like there are certain people like I, I'm never going to buy a Harley. It was funny. Someone was, uh, I got hate mail about, about my Harley story and they're like, <laughs> in 10 years, you're going to be riding a Harley, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Boomer. And, uh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> And I was like, I'm like, no, I mean, I'm not anti Harley. Like if Harley comes out with a product that's intriguing to me, sure. Um, but like, this isn't a brand that like, like I'm never going to buy a Harley Davidson cruiser. Let's put it that way. Right. Cause I'm just, it's just not my jam. Like yeah. I'm like the antithesis of it. Uh, I don't Harley even know what to do if like I a, saw you on a cruiser. Harley comes out with like a Kramer plus <laughs> sign me up. I'll be Sweet. racing that little fucker. Yeah, absolutely. Little, little XLR 650 or somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think like truthfully, if Harley came out with a pointy end uh, street tracker, like a true, like, like I, I really like the, actually the XR 1200. Yeah. If you want to talk about a Harley that got me like interested in owning a Harley, that was probably the closest I've ever gotten. Cause like, yeah, that's a cool bike. That'd be a fun city bike uh you know like still sporty still fun but not like you know ob- obscene sport bike manners you know something that's still tame enough for the street right you know i could see like they came out with something like that that was a little bit more polished and wasn't just a lump of turds i could get excited about it i always it. wondered why they didn't put the v-rod motor in that bike instead of the 1200 cc just, just blah 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 motor know what they were doing um Hey, I mean, speaking of Harley and baggers and interesting things, do you oh, want to talk, talk about, about that, that yeah, now? I totally do. You, talk about, you can't, you can't continue anymore. Oh, come on. <laughs> All right, we can get off the BMW. Um, <laughs> I will, I'm just going to finish. Mark and his team have a tremendous amount of work to do in my yes. mind. Like that, that they will be what makes or breaks this this operation because that bike needs to have a story told and it needs to be pitched to people and they need to make their distinctions and their similarities to the Harley Davidson crowd who want to capture them. And with that. Moto America will be racing baggers at Laguna Seca, Shaheen. I really, really thought you were fucking around when you put this up. And then I realized you weren't the only person who put this up. No, in fact, I was a little I was a little <laughs> late with the news because I was so busy with the one show. Moto America will race baggers at Laguna Seca. No, seriously. That's literally your title. Literally and I looked at it, I was like, that's funny, Jensen. <laughs> that's hilarious. You're a hilarious person. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be on the uh, Moto America podcast talking about this. Okay. And uh, I fully expect it because it's going to be their PR team. Are you it. going to um, Are you going to uh, announce your demands? To them I'm going to go with my list of demands. <laughs> now let me just enumerate them now so you can know what you're in store for. Okay. Uh, number one, the bikes must be ridden two up with a combined minimum weight uh, of rider and passenger to be no less than 500 pounds. So like you and me together. Yes. Nice. It, no skinny people allowed. Oh, I'm so into it. Two jousting shall be legal and encouragement and encouraged by the management so can i have like can i have like a gopro on a on a selfie stick and joust people with absolutely that absolutely oh my can. god gopro we need a gopro absolutely. max immediately for this i feel like you there isn't a number of laps it's just an endurance race until the passenger's <laughs> been knocked off that's how i would do it oh my god three each competitor rider and passenger uh, each can wear no more than one square yard of leather of leather or any other protective abrasion resistant material. Wait, so we're going like Daytona Bike Week kind so, of outfit? Assless chaps and vests. Oh baby. hell! Wait, Jensen, all chaps are assless. I know, but <laughs> some people need that distinction <laughs> all right, all right, just right. so they know what. They're Otherwise, they're for. just leather pants. Otherwise, they're just leather pants. <laughs> Four, a pie eating contest must be worked into the racing <laughs> format. <laughs> I would be okay if this was a mandatory pit stop midway through where you eat your pie and then go. Wait, like a Le Mans style start, but you have to eat the pies before you can get on the bike. Pie eating contest before the bike starts. 
or second option on the the hot pit there's someone with pies and you have to grab the pie as you go by and then eat it during that lap and if you drop any that's that's going to go against you yeah <gasps> yeah oh my gosh this is amazing that's open for debate that's an open format okay okay uh same with number five where some sort of fan interaction opportunity for where we get to decide what plays on their stereos as they go around okay uh now, do you mean like the fans have to like tell you what's on or do they get to judge you like maybe no like it's a social media thing where if like enough there's enough votes for like only taylor swift Mm. that would be a thing or if someone like drops like a hundred bucks they can make journey play on the lead bike stereo don't stop right all right um six winglets would be allowed obviously for for the added downforce wait what winglets oh my gosh i can't even imagine one of these giant (laughs) bat wing front ends with winglets stupid it'll be as wide as a toyota tacoma Seven, there needs to be some sort of subjective scoring system for when the rider has to layer down in the turn to avoid the wreck or whatever it is oh, that yeah. they say when they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would imagine this would work very similar to figure skating, where it's just made up by whoever's most popular with the judges. So are we going to have an international judge panel? Like maybe the French judge, judge will be there? Very snooty, yes. Super snooty. They have very high expectations. Yes. yes. Um Number eight, did I mention a pie-eating contest? I still think the pie-eating contest should be maybe two times in the race. Once, Le Mans style at the beginning, whoever finishes the pie can get on their damn bike and go. Two, hot lap, or maybe like a pit stop in the middle there. I just feel like it's good Americana. I agree. And that ties into number nine, which says that all bikes must be star-spangled awesome. So as many eagle references that we can get in there, uh, freedom of the open road, um open carry just because which goes to number all, 10 all the riders should open carry which goes straight to number uh, 10. which goes straight to number 10 which is just shoot me in the head when it's all over <laughs> just just put me out of my fucking misery so you don't check the facebook comments no on asphalt and river i just found this out for no. the first time yeah, ever black hole i put on there this means that we have to take the Goldwing and race together on this upcoming race they do make a bagger version of the Goldwing. I mean, in, fact, is, in fact it is the, a bagger the honda Goldwing is a bagger right the bike that I have is technically the Honda Goldwing Tour. Oh, because it has the trunk. Because it has the the top case gotcha, seat gotcha. thing trunk. I, I just feel like I want a picture of the two of us going through a corner with both our knees on the ground. Dude, uh, with a so, pie in one hand for me and a, and a GoPro stick in the other jousting some other fucker. It's so sick. I should getting your oh knee God. down on the Goldwing. So, but Gene, how bad of an idea is this baggers race? I'm excited. Are you really? Oh my God, I'm so excited. What are you excited about? Dude, this is like having a a clown show in the middle of a... Exactly. It's like having a fucking clown race. Like, you're you're a professional motorcycle racing series, and you're literally just going to have, like, clowns popping out of a Volkswagen. The American public has proven over and over again that what they like on television and uh, in power now is idiocy and shitty uh, let's call it true reality tv this is all that this is like the spar- star spangled banner clown show on the in the middle of a motorcycle thing how else are you going to get people to watch the thing that's starting to not become popular anymore you turn it up you go you, you go past 10 to the 11 on the dial you got to go crazy you got to bring some baggers and i really think uh i, I hope they take Nine out of your ten uh, uh, demands seriously. Which one are you leaving out? I don't want the last one. I'm, just, I, I'm not <laughs> done with this show yet, so please don't shoot it. I don't know if I can live with myself afterwards <laughs> after watching that. It, like, I just, for me, it's 
Someone said it really eloquently in, in the comment section because it's, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> eloquently it's, in the comment section? Go on. It's the We have really good comments on Asshole and Rubber, actually. <laughs> That's true. We do. Um, it goes back to that engagement thing. Not quantity, That's right. quality. That's right. Um, but someone's like, this is the jump the shark moment. This is this is, this is is it. That, That's how I read this, where it's like, this is the sad state of American racing where we will debase ourselves down to racing baggers through the corkscrew <laughs> if it means... That it that's entertainment and that's gonna get people to show up and and some I assume some brand. This is like having is a monster truck America just suddenly it. go through the field during a NASCAR race. Yeah, just fucking plowing down a couple of cars, see what happens. The problem is like with that is like it it just like you just took your lowest common denominator lowest common denominator and sunk it through the floor. Like you would never see Formula One do something like this. You no. don't actually see NASCAR do this. You would never see MotoGP do something like this. Uh, MotoGP, like the biggest like controversy is like the electric bikes coming through, right? And you know you just sit there and you're just like, is that the commentary? Like, like we can't get people interested in motorcycle, like actual motorcycle racing, that we need to come up with this comedic clown motorcycle racing to get them interested. Is that like, is that like motorcycle racing is so boring to Americans that the only way we can snap them away from their their smartphones and their televisions and their sneakers is that we fucking just make a joke out of racing jensen this isn't a joke this is a true race on sunday sell on monday scenario whoever wins in this bagger is going to sell more bikes also the question i have is is harley is harley ahead of this is harley the one that's doing this no truthfully i think it's an aftermarket company that's really that's pushing it and i think that's that's what it comes down to i think someone came along and said hey we will we want it we have this idea we will pay you this much money and motor america was like cool yeah we'll do that yeah fuck it we need the money so when's the first race? It's just they're just doing one at Laguna Seca. Oh, it's the only at Laguna Seca. Yeah, really. Yeah. So these bikes are gonna go through the corks. Exactly. A bagger. Yeah. It's, You're gonna watch like, like, I don't know. Here's the thing too. It's like uh, how modified are you gonna allow these baggers? Yeah. How much? How, they're all gonna be lifted because if you're gonna if you're legitimately gonna go race a bagger, your number one job is to make it not a bagger. Yeah. Uh, Actually, there was one at the one show I saw. I think it was a Road King. No, I'm sorry, a Road Glide. Yeah, um, and it looked like it was about three inches higher than the average road glide. Like the bags were like way off the ground. And I made a joke about this is what you have to do to make a Harley quote-unquote handle well. Yeah, well, you're still going to drag fucking motor and foot pegs. Like, like, it's the same thing like that Goldwing. Like, that Goldwing's got like 30 degrees of lean maximum. I'd love to put the data logger on it and actually find out how much it is. <laughs> when it touches. Because like it wasn't a lot. That's why like getting the knee down on it was so fucking hard. Because you can't lean it over at all. Yeah. You have to hang the, off the bike a ton. And it's going to be the same with these backers. Where it's like you're going to go through the corkscrew at five miles an hour because <laughs> you're not going to be able to flick the thing over in time. Like, first of all, you have to have enough brakes to slow you down before the corkscrew because it's got a fucked up little, like, rise right before the corkscrew. <laughs> so it's going to get, like, these chassis all kinds of upset if they're really pushing them. It's going to be high side city. I'm, I'm actually excited to see it. It's, now, now it's like a, a train wreck that is on schedule, and I'm going to be there watching it. It's like, um, did, were you watching the the flat track racing at the one show uh-huh. when um, uh, Larry the Enticer came out? Yes. You know, like, it was one of those things where, like, it sounded like kind of like, we're going to have Larry come out and he's going to be on a snowmobile and he's going to ride a snowmobile around the circle. And, like, it was funny for, like, a second. And then the wheels came off the snowmobile because he had wheels instead of skis. Right. And it kind of sat there. And then it just. It was like two seconds of it, and you're like, oh, now it's just sitting there, and it's just kind of awkward and weird, and 
This probably sounded way better on paper than it was in reality. Auto America, if you're listening, make sure the wheels don't come off at least. I just, it's just going to be a lot of like, it's not going to be interesting racing. It's not going to be good. Like, it's going to be like a bunch of fans at the course crew to see the shit show that happens. Absolutely. And yeah, I bet a couple bikes like do right crash. now. I'm thinking of ways that I can ride my motorcycle down there for this, just so I can watch it and then come, come back home. And then it's just, I'm not even. I don't even care who wins. Gonna do a selfie of me as the corkscrew is just falling apart. Like demolition you know how many derby. Scratches they're gonna put on that piece of asphalt. <laughs> they're just gonna destroy it. It's just hmm. how many laps do they say? No, they don't talk about it. They haven't figured it out yet. They don't even have their teams figured out yet. Oh God. Do they talk about what kind of machines? No. So no, it could be it's, there's it just sounds like they've just got this idea and they're gonna like figure it out in the next couple of weeks. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the brands now have baggers. Harley, Indian, Kawasaki, Yamaha, Honda. Uh, I, I would imagine this is gonna be exclusively American V twin. Damn it. Way to take the fun out I, of it. I think that's the whole thing. I think the big thing uh for them is that they're promoting uh drag specialties mm. and and like the aftermarket. That's why I say like I'm pretty sure um it's an aftermarket company that's coming in and it's just like we're gonna we would like to pay you some money and so we can have a bunch of bikes showcasing our like go fast parts for baggers this is gonna be one of those things that we're gonna talk about like 10 years from now like hey remember when they did that one race with the baggers and they thought it was gonna be a real thing what if it sticks what if it becomes a real thing cool <laughs> I, I have like no interest in watching it uh, i like the bike you chose for the no, that's the bike. That's the, the bike from the from the press release. Yeah, I mean, look, it's got really aggressive wheels and brakes, and it is sitting higher than usual. I'm sure they'll they'll get it done. It's just like great. I, I I think this is such a bad idea. I think this is such a bad commentary on our sport. Like like I didn't care about Moto America a ton before this, but at least I cared. And if this is where we're gonna go with it, yeah, just let it die. Yeah, literally, but, uh, just let the series die. And we'll we'll figure it out in the ashes later, like Weira or Arma or AFM, one of these other club racing series will fill the void. I mean, I have to imagine there was some kind of a meeting and they were like, hey, this is dying. What do we do? Oh, I know. As a last resort, why don't we bring baggers? Because a lot of people in Florida, I guess, ride baggers. I'm sure everywhere. They sell the fuck out of them. Um, so... I mean, in theory, I get it because they're they're using the bike that is sold a lot. A lot of it is sold in America, and so if that's the case, then maybe there is more in common for the average typical motorcycle buyer that buys baggers to watch this thing and have something to relate to. I guess because these dudes love talking about how fast their fucking baggers are. Do you do you think that a bunch of like old grizzly white guys are going to show up on their on their Harleys now to come watch the races? Is that is that like a meaningful increase in gate traffic because of this? I don't think so. I don't think so either, but I just wonder if that I mean, I've been through I've been through some kooky fucking meetings and I just feel like this was one of those. No, yeah, this is totally like uh um, This was a last second someone was like, I got a great idea, y'all. This How about if we just do baggers <laughs> and we can just do Harley Davidson and we'll sell more shit because then people are gonna want to come see this clown show. Yo, yo, yo. The thought process on this is probably right there with like the Yamaha SCR nine fifty. <laughs> where it's like, you know what's really popular right now? These Travelers. uh these flat tracking, <laughs> uh street tracker type hipster bikes. We yeah. should we should get one of those, but it's gonna take us too long to make like a real one. So let's just like just throw one together. Let's just take like our our okay. like Yamaha bolt and put some parts on it and call it good to go. Even though it's got like oh, this is supposed to be like a scrambler. 
even though it's only got like an inch of ground clearance, literally an inch of ground clearance. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, now that way we'll have a scrambler hipster bike and we can sell it to people and the hipsters will buy it and hipsters and hipsters and, and sell the bikes. It's the same thing where it's like, um, you know what sells a lot? There's a lot of Harleys that get sold every year. We should, uh, we should sell, we should race Harleys because a lot of people buy Harleys and that's a good idea. And no one sat there and was like, does this actually sound like a good idea? Like, no one did the sniff probably, test. Somebody probably did that, and they told him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you sit there and like, shut hey guys, up. guys, I don't think it's a good idea. Shut up, Randy. All right, sorry. No one likes you. You don't have friends. Go get some coffee, you piece of shit. I don't know, man. It just... I'll be really curious to see how this conversation with them goes tomorrow. I have... I have I'm dying to hear the post-show well, commentary we'll from you. Put it on social media, because I'm sure it'll be interested. I mean, I guess that's the thing in marketing, right? We were talking about it before. It's always about the lowest common denominator. Harley people talking no, about the Pan no, America. No, it's thing. not though, Shaheen. This that's is what sells. This though. idea comes from the same people that say sex sells Ugh, because no, they just think gross. people are fucking monkeys. They're like, oh, it's this crazy thing, so that'll get people excited, and that's that's what the world is these days. We elected a reality TV star for president. Well, this is this, and you're just like, no, stop it. But the Jeep stop motorcycles. It. Only idiots think that. But bagger racing. Bagger racing. God damn it. What's going on in the world? Um, You want to finish on a high note? Yeah. Oh. Mm. oh let's, like uh, let's get our drinks ready and talk about it. Oh, oh, hold on. All right. <laughs> talk about the Ducati Superleggera V4. I don't actually think we have that much to say. We don't. We've said a lot about it already. Other than I would just like to say in front of all of our listeners, uh -huh. I told you so. He did. Wait, what part? You thought that photo was a Photoshop. I did. It looked like garbage, but the wings are there. <laughs> I know. I remember seeing it. I was like, motherfucker. I made a big hoopla about it. And there it is. The wings. Fucking wingy, 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 wingy. Wingy McWingerson. There's so many wings in this thing. I, I have to apologize to our readers. I missed the golden opportunity to title my story spoiler alert <laughs> Ducati Superleggera before released damn it go back go back right now oh, such everything. a perfect opportunity spoiler <laughs> um, somewhere someone rolled their eyes that's my wife I say we don't have much to say because pretty much all the leaked info that came out was true $100,000 price yep. basically a Panigale V4R motor so it's two hundred and. 17 to 14 uh base 230-ish with well, the, the exhaust, exhaust which yeah. you're gonna put on it obviously all carbon everything the whole chassis is carbon everything's carbon chassis carbon swing arms carbon subframes yep. carbon wheels are carbon bodyworks carbon wings are carbon. carbon your body's made out of carbon i don't know your, all, all the things your helmet's are gonna be carbon your shoes better have some carbon on yeah. them anything touching the bike from you better have carbon to put on the carbon because we yeah. don't want to mix materials here it's bad for science it's sexy as hell uh it looks good it is a let's just say that one more time One hundred thousand us dollars the thing with that it is ridiculous price tag. That's a lot. And they will sell every single one of them. Oh, absolutely. The thing that, that gets lost with that number, though, is uh, everyone will get a what they're calling the World Superbike Experience, which Ooh. basically means you get to ride a World Superbike spec Panigale V4R. I don't know if it's actually Chaz Davies or uh, Alvaro Batista's bikes or, or Scott Redding's or who, whoever, hmm. but um, you'll get the opportunity to, to ride one of those. And then 30 owners... 
are getting what's called the Moto GP experience, Whoa. which includes some seat time on the GP20. I wonder if those are the first 30 buyers. I don't know. They're probably VIPs. Maybe they paid more. I don't really know. I haven't heard the deal on that. In fact, Ducati North America has been pretty quiet about this bike. Ducati North America is trying to be quiet, but also they're really good at leaking shit. So, Yeah. How many of this 500 do we think are going to be sold in the U.S.? Less than 100, but close to it. Hmm. I would I would say like 80 or 90. That's my guess. I feel like the U.S. will be the single largest country market for it, but Europe will sell about just as many as we do, if not more. Let's say like 120 coming out of Europe, and then I think the rest are going to end up in Asia. It's just so... Uh, Middle East, China. I think yeah. it's gorgeous, but I'm also a little bit disappointed that they didn't go just fucking ape shit on it i do think that's so this is my worry this would be like my my freebie critique for ducati for the next round i think in two years we will see a ducati superleggera v4 they'll come up with a name yeah and it'll be the 1100 cc version of the motor with all of the v4r parts so basically just be a board and stroke to v4r oh okay um and that'll make like 250 horsepower yeah. or something stupid like that because yeah, this bike is not a racing homologation it doesn't have to be within right and uh, i think and i think it's going to look just like this it's going to have maybe more wings yeah. it'll have the same wings but i think the big distinction will be the bigger motor the bigger horsepower figure and maybe ducati f- puts even more of an experience package on top of it where everyone's getting the moto gp experience that'll or, be a hundred twenty thousand dollar brick right uh something of that nature well, they did that with the second Super Legera. Right. That's yeah. exactly the second Super Legera was just more carbon, mm-hmm. bigger motor, mm-hmm. and more or less the same idea. And that's my worry. That's my worry. Because that's that's what they've done in the past. And that's kind of what they're doing now. That's the trajectory for the future. And like at that point, like I kind of get bored with the idea. Right. What I really want them to do is maybe, yeah, take that V4 1100 cc motor do all the craziness make it 250 horsepower but then build a bike around it that is just this is what we would build yeah. if there was no rules that's what we said on the last show yeah that's what we said last show just make it like you got it's open just do the thing put lasers on it i'm telling you call it the Missiles. lamborghini edition just go fucking ape shit on it yeah that's the way to do it it's the same company just do the right thing and i wouldn't be surprised nor sad if they did like a street fighter version of that Oh, like, like a Carlin Dunn edition that was just badass as hell. That'd be kind of cool. All carboned out. Instead of a, a V4 Superleggera, like a Street Fighter Superleggera. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. That would be amazing. You have a good idea there. Your idea is better than my idea. Ooh, I like both of our ideas. Yours was an idea. Yours was a premonition. Yours was like, this is what's going to happen next. Well, that's the thing. I don't want... I mean, historically, you're next. not incorrect. I don't want that to be the case. I like your idea. I mean, whatever. A Superleggera like V4... Like a Street Fighter. $80,000 Super Legera Street Fighter. Yeah. Fucking ton of wings. <sighs> have it make 250 just, horsepower. Just show up to MV Agusta's uh, factory with it and just flip them off and do a burnout and leave. Because that's how Italians would do it, I think. They would do something. Yeah. The spaghetti. Hey, got you a pepe. I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> very interesting motorcycle, though. I'm um, I'm stoked to exist. Like, I, I'm, I sound a little poopy. I'm very happy that this is in the world and this exists and this is a thing. Yeah. Um, Me too. It's almost as good as racing baggers in Moto America. Why did you have to say that? I was like almost Because I'm just it. not over it, Jensen. I have feelings and, you know, some of them are hurt. 
The thing that's crazy for me, Shaheen, is that the wings create 110 pounds of downforce. That's so much. At 167 miles an hour. How much does the R bike or the current V4S create? Uh, it, with the, with the one like, wing on each side. It's like it's more than double. <laughs> I thought it was I like it's almost 60 I feel like 40. I can't remember if it's 40% more or 60% more. But it's right around that like almost double. I want to see the old school thing where the track goes upside down and the bike sticks. Remember that was like the thing where kids like, this Lamborghini will go upside down, upside down, yeah. or the Formula One We cars. talked about this. Yeah. It'd just be the one wheel. Yeah. It'd just be the one wheel. <laughs> it's fine. That's the thing. <laughs> Rear tail section spoilers. That's the next thing. Oh, yeah. Like little tiny wings in the back. But you know, like, like going back to my idea, right? Or going back to what we were saying before, I love these like modern dustbin concepts that right. people make. That would be a cool thing. Where you have like that modern sport bike, but the front's like a dustbin type fairing. And you just say like, yeah, like our goal, like come up with some stupid goal. Our goal is to go 250 miles on the salt flats. All right. Cool. Fucking A. That's yeah. not easy to do. Nope. Go fucking do it. You're yeah. going to build like a super, you don't, weight really isn't a factor when you do that. But horsepower certainly is and aerodynamics certainly is. Right. That would be a cool thing to see. Uh, some sort of crazy creation like that where it's like. You would never, you can't race that anywhere. You can barely take it on the street, but I bet it looks fucking rad because those bikes always look rad. Always. They always look so good. They they captivate my imagination every time. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Like this bike almost looks dangerous, but not like those. Right? Like this is the bike that you know you can do 180 miles an hour and it'll, it, I bet it'll just be rock steady. Oh, yeah. That was. For those that haven't ridden a bike with winglets, that really is the thing. Some of it is anti-wheelie, but I mean, truthfully, I can't do the math in my head right now. But let's say we'll take we'll take Portland International as a great okay. example. Yep. So turn nine is like a second gear corner. I pop out of it going about 50, 60 miles an hour, maybe. I'd have to look at my data to know for sure. But I'm not going that fast. And that's the thing. Like even with these crazy winglets, it's probably only creating about ten pounds of downforce. Yeah, you know, like it's really, it's really not that much in terms of anti wheelie properties. Where you start seeing the advantage really is at a track like Mugello, where around the start finish line the straightaway crests, <laughs> and so there you do end up hitting a power wheelie in sixth gear and having the downforce from the winglets is a great way of keeping the bike planted over a cresting hill like that. Um, Coda, actually, with all the bumps on the back straight, yeah. would be another track where this would be really advantageous because it would keep that front wheel planted and it would keep you from getting head shakes and things like that. It also means that when you come over that crest at Magello or you hit those bumps at Coda, if you do bring up the front wheel, the wheelie control is going to kick in and kill your power, which is going to kill your drive for the rest of the straightaway. Right. You know, you're literally going to lose, you know, you're miles per it. hour at the top at the trap because of the of the wheelie control and the traction control. But with the winglets there, you don't have that issue. And with 230 horsepower to spare, you're not really losing any top speed because you have more horsepower than you know what to do with in terms of fighting the aerodynamics of it. But also the other beautiful part is the stability when you get on the brakes because when you hit the brakes on a normal motorcycle normal superbike at speed you get a lot of front end dive before you start slowing down you're going to have to compress the suspension right that's already kind of done for you with the aerodynamics they've preloaded the suspension with that 110 pounds of downforce that's basically you know your body weight pushing onto the 
the the front wheel you know if you figure a 50 50 balance on right. your body weight um so it's helping load that wheel already and then you grab the brakes and you have a better braking response you get your braking pressure and your stopping power quicker and you have better feel through the process of it that's where the real value is so it's um it is pretty interesting to see that that they've put that much ridiculous downforce on this bike. I'd so be really ridiculous. curious to see it at a at a fast track how it handles compared to the non-winged version. Any um any news on a uh, release date on it? Oh yes. Um, bah, 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 bah. they're going to start doing deliveries in June of 2020. Okay. The plan is to make five bikes a day, and the hope is to be done by the end of the 2020 calendar year. Wow. Okay. So, and from what I'm understanding, the only dealers that are going to get them are the ones that have a large sum of money down payment. I think it's got to be like ten plus thousand dollars down payment. That seems fair because what dealer is going to risk a hundred thousand dollar? Nobody wants that. You know, backing out of the purchase. Yeah. What's up, HP4? I don't think that was their issue. (laughs) I think it's just no one wanted it. Uh, yeah, but dealers still had them. That's the thing. They, they had them sitting in their dealership. That's a good point. Yeah, you had an $80,000 bike yeah. on your books that was just sitting there doing nothing. You're absolutely right. That's a good point. Uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, this bike will be interesting to see how it does. I would love to, to ride one. I don't think I'll get a chance because there's so few of them. And I don't think they're going to do any sort of press thing with it. I doubt it. Um, You'll probably get to ride 10 V4Rs before you get to touch that thing. Oh, it's such a good bike, though. Yeah. V4R, like. It's up there. It does. Like, if you're getting on that, like, return on investment for dollar spent, like, grins per dollar spectrum, <laughs> the V4R does start getting into a place of, like, we're diminishing returns. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I definitely said it's worth every dollar, and it really is, but, like, that 40000 is a lot of money. That, I, I have a hard time spending more than 40000 on a, on anybody. On anything. <laughs> like, even if this Superleger, like, Justin, how would you like to have a Superleger V4, but for $40,000? Great. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> We're going to get really into, like, $50,000. We're going to give you, Uncle Claudio calls me and goes, oh, baby, Bobby Johnson. <laughs> I give you the bike for 50% off. Hey, hey, I give it to you fifty percent off. That's still fifty thousand dollars, Claudio. Like, I don't Claudio, buddy. Um, I'm a thirty-nine nine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm just gonna get the V4R because that's forty thousand, and that's pretty rad. And this, they're like the same motors, anyways. Okay, okay, I give it to you fifty percent off. You get two cannoli. I would definitely get slapped in the face. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely like get, get myself in trouble. That guy's short enough; he'll just punch you right in the dick. He's strong. He's he is strong. He's strong. Dude, he's in shape. He's he's, he's he looks way, slight and tiny, but he's in he's shape. He's in better shape than me by far. <laughs> I love hearing stories of how fast he is on the track because you look fast. at him, you're like, "Listen, old man, he more. is legit fast." Like I would say, like I. I have to hustle to keep up with him. <laughs> I love that. That's like, so it's cool. Not, How many other motorcycle brand CEOs can say that? Zero. Yeah, that's zero. amazing. Usually there's a test rider. Usually there's like a product management guy or a marketing person that's like an X racer that can haul the beans. That's that's pretty good. Right. You know, like definitely like amateur racer or better level, uh, journalist level. Uh, oh, journalist level is pretty wide. There's a pretty wide spectrum on the journalist spectrum. But... uh Claudio's the only Claudio, CEO Claudio that can, can fire you because you're not faster than him if you work. Yeah, it's legit. <laughs> He's legit. 
Test writer comes back. I could only do a minute 51. No, I did a minute 49. You ah, fired. <laughs> you go eat the ravioli. You eat the too much cannolis. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, that's cool. That's cool. He's a fun guy. This bike's interesting. Uh, hopefully it's on display at Austin. I, that, that's, that's that's the only thing I can think of is like now maybe be our first chance. That's what I said. As Americans to see ago. it. I'd love to see it there. Uh, I know uh, potential purchasers have already seen it, but that was like a special thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I still have to talk to. I got a phone call to Ducati. I got to talk to them about some stuff. And got to talk to some well, people about a couple of things. Maybe I can get some some infos on this. Uh, but I will definitely pitch them your Street Fighter Super Jera. Sure. That's and, a good. Uh, one. As usual, I just want five percent. Just five percent of sales. That's a, just a little taste. Which you know, if it's or honestly, you know, if they want to give me a Street Fighter S, I'll be happy. I'll be more than happy. I think you're selling yourself short there, sir. Let's just do the math real quick. Okay, do the math. Let's say five hundred bikes. How okay. much is a Street Fighter Super Jera worth? What's the sale price on that? Probably 80. 80. I think that's fair. 80. And you wanted how many? Uh, 5%. 5%? Uh-huh. Yeah, you should definitely go with the 5%. 5%? All right, give me yeah. 5%. Yeah, I'll just doing that math. Street Fighter Because that's that's $2 million. God damn it. <laughs> you sold yourself short by... Short. Right now, the guy's like, nah, he said it. We have it on recording. You literally were willing to take 1% I was. of what was on that's, the table. That's, that's how happy I am just to have a motorcycle. <laughs> Be like, can I also have extended warranty? No, 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 no. You said one motorcycle. No, 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 no. <laughs> you get one bike. You happy with it? Oh. Now fuck off before we shoot you. That's funny. It's a pretty bike. It looks good. It looks very good. I'm just jealous. I don't have one. Um, hundred thousand dollars though. I hope that we know someone that'll buy one. I feel like I know two people. Yeah, we'll see. Huh? We'll see. Yeah. Cross we'll some fingers. We'll see. Just so I can be in the presence of one. You just want to be that that guy. Just to put my dick on it. That's all I want to do. Just boop. 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 I booped it. <laughs> Super stoked no one put their dick on my race bike, by the way. Are you sure? Uh, I mean, hopefully there was pants in between it. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I had yeah, pants yeah. on. But uh, I think with that, sir, we will get out of this one. All right. Well, you know what's up? I'm glad that you were back in the I'm US today. And I adhered to my rule of safety third. Now, here I am. Good. Still alive. I like it. Anyways, on that note, (laughs) good talk. I'll see you out there. Safety third. Bye. (laughs) Bye. This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly motorcycle podcast where we talk about motorcycles on the podcast and fuck beans, fuck. Fuck beans. Woo. Damn it. I love fuck beans. I had the script right in front of me, too. I don't know how I fucked that up. You know, the thing with scripts is I didn't when you read the them, I didn't you, didn't. It. you didn't. And you're drinking Diet Coke still, and your, your body's just retaliating. I'm telling you. Uh, I'll try that again. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat>